Say that again. Uh, check out the update that I pumped out yesterday. There's a link there. Okay. Okay. So post French and uh, French and Indian War. Okay. Um, what I tried to do was link some other resources for you throughout this slideshow that's on the slideshow. So this is a link to an article about French and Indian War, specifically in uh, Rhode Island. Um, what I appreciated about the book when they talked about what life was like in 1763 is that they used the term um, adolescent economies uh, when they're referring to uh, colonial economies. Um, I'm going to talk about interpretation today at the end of this. Uh, when I talk about uh, historians' interpretations of the revolution at the beginning of the previous lecture, uh, we're going to kind of circle back to that today. Um, but uh, that is an interpretation. The idea that, that uh, the, the colonies have adolescent uh, economies. If you don't know what adolescent means, it means like teenager-like, like developing. Okay, um, And so it's a great way to frame uh, how we exit the war and now enter into the revolutionary period. Okay, We have revolutionaries uh, fired up and uh, economies are starting to thrive. Uh, the revolution itself will halt that economic drive, but post-revolution you'll see them pick back up again. Um, this is uh, a scene from um, the skirmish that you see right here is from Rhode Island. Um, the colonists, they're so fired up that uh, the British don't know what to do with them. Um, the, the, the British really look at North America at this point as um, a, a pain in the butt. Uh, anyone know what the Gadsden, fla uh, Gadsden flag is? The yellow flag with the snake on it? Okay, That flag comes out of the 1754 political cartoon from um, uh, Benjamin Franklin, where he, he, he has that join or die snake. Okay. The, the thought is, Franklin's idea is that uh, America is like a rattlesnake to uh, Britain, a nuisance to Britain. And so we need to th start thinking about, again, that's, that's uh, also some interpretation there when we're talking about how the British view uh, the Americans uh, or the, the colonists at the time. Um, I liked this map right here because it talks about Quebec, and we're going to talk about Quebec here in a little bit, and the impact of Quebec um, and the Quebec Act once we get to it. Um, on the colonists. Um, so here's what I'm going to do. I have 1764 all the way through 17, uh, 1775. So that's nine years, 11 years, 11 years. Um, I'm going to give you guys points and details uh, for each year. So if you'd like to sketch out in your notes 11 years, feel free to. There are some years that have virtually nothing that happens, it seems like, and years that are just chock full of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so if you want to sketch it out, I was going to try and make a table for you guys. I didn't get a chance to, but if you want to sketch it out in your notebooks, you're more than welcome to. If you want to take notes as we go along year by year, feel free to, and then if you would like to go back and listen to this again, you can, uh, and review the slides, you can as well. Um, if you want, I have notes that I put in the slideshow. I don't think, you, you, you can't see them with how I have them published, but if you want, just email me and I can send you the like non-editable version, so. All right, 
1764, um, we have the, the Sugar Act. So Britain is hurting for money at this point in time, and um, they need to be able to tax the colonies. Uh, to be fair, the British uh, taxed the colonists far less than what the British themselves in England were taxed. But the fact that the colonists are an ocean away after a war, fired up, they're not interested in paying taxes. Um, they help the empire out, so there's no reason that they feel that they should pay taxes. Um, so this tax is a uh, six pence per gallon on imports of molasses from non-English colonies. Um, and if, if at this point in time, we're still seeing the French have control over the Caribbean, um, it's not until the early 1800s that we see them lose that control. Um, and so sugar is still a viable product being imported from uh, the Caribbean up to the colonies. Um, it's not a huge tax, six pence, which is essentially cents, six cents per gallon. Okay. Um, the act was not passed for the purpose of raising revenue, but rather to regulate trade by making British products cheaper than those of the French West Indies. Uh, the Molasses Act greatly affected the significant uh, colonial uh, molasses trade. And then because of this, uh, there's some pushback and protest and refusal to pay these taxes. You have British soldiers in the colonies. Um, and thinking about post-war, they just don't have, A, they don't have enough of them. And B, they don't, they don't feel like they have enough power. The soldiers themselves don't feel like they have enough power. Um, okay, moving on to 1765. Uh, we have the Quartering Act. Um, and the Quartering Act is, uh, there's two definitions of quartering. Quartering is when you tie all four limbs to four different horses and they pull you apart. That's quartering. That's the medieval version of quartering. This quartering is housing soldiers uh, as they see fit. Okay? Um, not just housing them, but also feeding them. Uh, the, during the war, the British came up with this, uh, one of these laws to offer soldiers uh, free, free bed and free room and board um, provided by the colonists. Uh, it made sense because it was in wartime, but now it's post-war time, and this act, is, it enforces the quartering uh, abilities of soldiers. Um, this is the actual stamp. This is the approval of it. Uh, the colonists decided to tweak it. Okay? This is their response in a political cartoon, Skull and Crossbones. Uh, if you look at it, it's actually not that far off. Still, yes? Even after even when the war is done, they're still initiating this act? The, yes. The yes. The, 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 the Crown does not want to spend any money that it doesn't have to on North American soldiers. So this is one way that they can save some money. It's not a lot, but yeah. Troy. So is this second? Yeah, no, not second. Third, yes. Specifically because of this. And spoiler alert, there's another one in 74. So. Um, <laughs> I hope no one violates that. Um, this is also, the Quartering Act is also a, a subset of a larger uh, group of acts called the Mutiny Acts. Uh, if you don't know what mutiny is, it's the idea that you as uh, a member of a group would overthrow the leader of that group. So they usually reference it as in like um, naval officers that would overthrow a captain while they're out to sea. That's called mutiny. 
So if you think about it, you apply it to the colonies, you're seeing colonists try the same thing. Uh, okay, so 75 continuing on. Um, this one's kind of be a beefy one. This is also uh, representative of the Stamp Act. Uh, widespread opposition in America. Colonists converted or convened in Colonial Stamp Act Congress. They had their own Congress in the United States to try and rebuff the, uh, the, the act itself, you have protests. This is absolutely the most uh, famous political cartoon of it. This is the funeral for the Stamp Act um, in, in efforts to get it repealed. This is a casket, okay? Um, kind of violent imagery, okay? Generally, when you see a casket this small, can anyone tell me what it's in reference to? Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> so like in reference, like brand new Stamp Act, we're going to bury it, okay? Um, so yes, this, this is what is being produced in the colonies, uh, and I would say this is not the typical feeling that colonists had. So if you think about politics right now, there, we're seeing a lot of what we call partisanship, where people on both ends of the spectrum, they're getting really fired up about things that happen, and people who live in the middle they're they're kind of not participate not participating in in all the fiery stuff that's going on on the edges, um, but you see this stuff being produced all the time. Um, my favorite, uh, the guy on the right is James Otis. Uh, where's, where's his name? James Otis. He is the man credited to first, at least writing it down, saying no taxation without representation. So 1765, which becomes the mantra of the, the revolution itself, James Otis, uh, no taxation without representation. Um, Congress, of it, uh, the British Parliament ends up repealing the Stamp Act, which was very unpopular in the British colonies. The persuasion of Benjamin Franklin, who comes and speaks before Parliament, um, he convinces them of this. I will get to the point where we talk about the, uh, the repeal of it. Um, it happens, so you have a mob in August, the Stamp Act is passed in May. It doesn't take effect until November. So they basically have a whole year to protest what would be the possible effects of this. Um, Patrick Henry stands up in uh, the uh, Virginia House of Burgesses. You have uh, the Sons of Liberty actually being formed. Sons of Liberty end up becoming like the covert uh, wing of uh, revolutionaries. Uh, there's also the Daughters of Liberty, um, far less nefarious. Um, there's a mob in August that overtakes the Chief Justice of Massachusetts in, um, in Boston. Um, and in December, British General Thomas Gage, commander of all English military forces in uh, America asked the New York Assembly to make colonists comply with the Quartering Act and house and supply his troops. Also in December of 65, the American boycott of the English import spread uh, as over 200 Boston merchant, merchants joined the movement to protest the Stamp Act. Uh, the Stamp Act is essentially a tax on anything that is an official document. So marriage, a marriage license would be an official document, but it also needs a stamp from the British government. Uh, to, to make it official, if that makes sense. So you're, the tax is on the stamp itself. Okay? Um, moving on to 66, we have the Declaratory Act. Um, uh, I should have put the, the map of the proclamation line. Um, 1763 is the proclamation line. 
um, that limits colonists from moving too far west. Um, with the, the animosity and the fervor about the Stamp Act, the declaratory acts come as a, an essentially a warning and a flex on the colonists. Uh, the declaratory acts, acts are uh, um, produced by Parliament in England, but then signed and supported by the king, essentially saying, I'm, I'm king and you're going to have to deal with it. Um, there, there, it does nothing. It's, it's, a pro, it's a proclamation essentially saying that the king is still in control of the colonies. Um, this happens in March of 76. Uh, um, at, at this same time, they decide to repeal the Stamp Act. So if you think about it, 75, the, we introduced the Stamp Act. It's only in effect for three months before they repeal it because people are so heated about it. And at the same time, the king pumps out this, the, the Declaratory Act, saying... Uh, I am king, hear me roar. Okay? Um, at, at the very least, the concept of, uh, of a ruler flexing like this is an indication to their subjects that something is wrong. There, there's a lack of, there's a, a lack of communication between them. So. Um, in, in August, violence breaks out in New York City between British soldiers and armed colonists, including the Sons of, Liberties, uh, Sons of Liberty. Uh, the violence erupts as a result of co the continual refusal of New York colonists to comply with the Quartering Act. In December of 1966, uh, uh, the, uh, the New York legislature is suspended uh, by the English Crown after once again uh, voting to refuse to com uh, comply with the Act. So now we're seeing... Um, Governing bodies in the colonies start to refuse to play ball with the English crown. Um, in 67, okay, we have the Townshend Acts, and this is Charles Townshend. Uh, he is the English Chancellor of the Exchange, uh, so he's, he's an economic advisor of the king, and uh, the purpose of the acts is to raise revenue in the colonies to pay for the salaries of governors and judges so that they would remain loyal to, the, to Great Britain create more effective means of enforcing compliance with trade regulations, punish the province of New York, uh, specifically New York, for failing to comply with the 1765 Quartering Act, and establish the precedent that the British Parliament had the right to tax the colonies. Um, so raise revenue for judges and governors, uh, create more effective means to enforce trade, regu uh, trade regulations, punish New York for refusing to go along with the Quartering Act, and then establish a precedent or a standard that the British Parliament has the right to tax whenever they want. So with the Townshend Act, you have not just the king flexing, but you also have Parliament flexing. Okay? And I'll, and I'll, and I'll give you these two. These are taxes on specific items that I want you to write down. Uh, okay, so this is glass. Glass, lead... Paper, paint, and tea. Yes. Just like everything. Well, so it, it's almost as if what what I want you guys to see with this is that there are moments where one thing is taxed and then it's removed or repealed. There's another thing that's being taxed and it's removed or repealed. So they. But like it just kind of seems like the king is just kind of like okay, you don't like me touching you. I have an idea. Right. 
Right. If they boycott this, they'll have no paper in the colony, which means that they can't document any of their they, they can't tax them because they have no paper. I don't think that was a worry that they had. What? I don't think that was a worry that they had. What do you mean? British Parliament? Uh, the colonists. Why? I mean, we, we have spent now four, four years figuring out how to subvert the authority that is over us, essentially, if we're the colonists. Yeah, it's not using paper, and they can't give us authority. Um, no. What are they going to do? Okay, name one thing you can do without paper. Like, a, like an official government. If you think that they can't figure out how to make paper, then you're wrong. Like you're, you're Who's gonna make paper? The artisans. Yeah, they, they have the, they have the means to produce it. The whole reason you're boycotting paper is so they can document it. Do you think that they're getting? I don't think. I don't. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They will figure out a way around it. I don't think they're shipping paper from England. I think they're making their own paper. They're making their own paper and taxing it in the colonies. Yeah. Oh, that's right. What? How are you going to make your own stuff that gets taxed? Well, that's, that's what taxes are. That's what we do now. <laughs> there's, state, there's state tax, there's state sales tax. <laughs> do, you, do you want me to say the products again? Okay. Glass, lead, paper, paint, and tea. Say that again? Uh, well, that is the tax that is in effect in 67. Okay, the Townshend Act. Yes. Okay, I can say that again for you. Raise revenue for colonies to pay for the salaries of governors and judges so that they, they would remain loyal. Uh, create a more effective means of enforcing compliance with trade, uh, trade regulations. So let me let me rephrase that for you. That means that they're going to hire dudes to inspect ships. Because one of the issues that we're going to see, and it kind of uh, snowballs here, is that... Um, uh, what's up? Which act are we talking the, Still the town chain. Uh We're going to see them... Like, smuggling becomes a real issue. Uh, the, the number one smuggler that everyone always knows about is John Hancock. Oh. Well, John Hancock was a goon. He was a goon? Okay. Oh, okay. Yes. He, because he is fired up. Okay. Uh, punish the province of New York for failing to comply with the Quartering Act. So, yeah, the colony of New York. They call it a province. Uh, to comply with the Quartering Act. And then the last one was to establish the precedent or standard that the Brit the, that uh, British Parliament uh, have the right to tax the colonies. Yeah, precedent and or standard. Yeah. Um, it, can a, can anyone assume what what happens after the Townshend Act? How do how do colonists respond? Okay. So so the word that you want to use is boycott. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, and this is where, this is where for the first time we see Americans promoting things be bought uh, from American-made companies. So there's a, there's a, a movement that's entitled "Buy American" to to push back against the British Crown. Um, what I try to do also is find our original images. Uh, and not images that are just kind of blandly used throughout the, the revolution or the 
the uh, discussion of the revolution. So this is genuinely James Otis. This is the one and only uh, political cartoon about the Townshend Acts. People, because it says it's a tax on tea, people assume that it's about the tea tax, um, and it's not. It's just the Townshend Acts. So yes. Do you think it's a stamp on? A political cartoon about the stamp No, um, I don't. No, it was just political. It was just official documents, so a newspaper wouldn't have to have a stamp. Does that make sense? And the thought is, is that business the, usually business passes down the tax to customers. Yes. So is this before or after the Boston Massacre? Like, are we not there yet? We're not there yet. Okay. Okay. All right, moving on. So in 68, this is, we now have introduced Samuel Adams, okay? Sam, just to be clear, Sam Adams is the beer. Samuel Adams is the man. What's the difference, though? Mm, uh, one's a beer and one's a man. But isn't Sam just sort of short for Sam? Uh, yes, but, like, they've had, the beer company, the company uh, has had to deal with how they market things and the image that they use of Sam Adams and his family, who still obviously exists, like descendants of his. Yeah. As well as... So is the Sam Adams on the beer this Sam Adams? No, it is a... They look like each other, but it is a different Sam Adams. I know. Here, let, me, let me put it plainly for you. The beer company took the idea of this guy and has, they've made tons of money off him. So that's simply what it is. <laughs> Is there, like, the same well, dead, is there I doubt it because it's not the same. Okay, so here's some here's some key dates for 1768. In February, Sam Adams uh, writes what they call the circular letter. Okay, this is what it looked like right here, um, and it is uh, a uh, covert uh, publication, which means it's not supposed to be for. Uh, British officials. It's supposed to be circulated amongst colony, uh, colonists. Uh, it's called the Circular Letter, opposing taxation without representation, calling for colonists to unite against uh, action uh, implemented by the British. The letter is sent to assemblies, which are official um, uh, legislatures or congresses of the colonies, um, to instruct them on the methods uh, that Massachusetts is using to oppose the Townshend Acts in May, so that's February. In May, a British warship with 50 cannonballs, or sorry, 50 cannons, sails into Boston Harbor after a call for help from customs co uh, commissioners. Which, if you ended up watching the video, I have two people, Ronick and I think Annika. You guys asked me for the video, so you get to see the customs officials. <laughs> you get to see the customs officials in in the film in the video uh, to uh, see that. What's up? Uh, Boston Harbor. Troy. Sorry, say that at one. This? Okay. Uh, opposing taxation without representation and calling for the colonists to unite their uh, actions against the British government. The letter is sent to assemblies or like congresses uh, throughout the colonies and uh, is and is also instructive uh, on the methods that Massachusetts is using to oppose the Townshend Acts. Okay, so 67 is Townshend Acts. We're seeing response in 68 by the colonists. In July of 68, um, you have the, uh, the governor of Massachusetts dissolved the general court, which means that he's telling Congress, the, the, the state Congress, to go home, which is not a good look. 
for, for him. Um, uh, and then in August, merchants agree to boycott more and more goods until the Townshend's act, until the Townshend acts are repealed. In September, a town meeting in Boston, residents are, uh, are urged to arm themselves. Later in September, English warships sail into Boston Harbor, and the two regiments of English infantry uh, land in Boston and set up permanent residence in order to keep order. That is so dense. Very. That's a lot. Um, it is. So basically, I can give it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so essentially, what we're seeing here in '68 is a not only a response to the Townshend Act, but also now we're starting to actually see it's not just words; now actions being put in place. The British are starting to snap back uh, on uh, colonial uh, legislatures' activities, and then you're also seeing colonists in response starting to arm themselves and organize themselves in case something were to happen. And this isn't just this isn't just the idea that the colonists were looking to. Um, uh, separate themselves from from England. They wanted England to recognize the seriousness of their um, abilities. That, that the colonists clearly have the ability to support England in a war, so they should be looked at as, uh, at the very least, traditional British citizens and be treated as such. Um, overarching theme, no taxation without representation. There is no representation of colonists in England. So they have no say as to what happens with these taxes that England tries to implement. All right, so in 69, you have the uh, Virginia Resolves. Okay, um, I didn't get a chance to find the, the original House of Burgesses. It didn't, it didn't exist or it didn't uh, last. Um, I don't remember why. I don't know if it got burnt down or what. But uh, the Virginia House of Burgesses, uh, the term Burgesses, uh, is references, it's a reference to uh, boroughs or neighborhoods or people who live in the neighborhoods. So it's supposed to be representative of people. Okay? So that it, what's that? B U R G E S S E S. And it doesn't exist anymore? The actual building itself, the original building doesn't exist. But did it exist in 19? Yes. Yeah. So the building was like. Um, it's a meeting. It's a meeting place, but it is for official official colonial activity. Now, uh, the image that you guys see on the left is this is, is it Henry. No, uh, you have George Mason. No, George Mason. Um, is that with a J or a G? George G. George Mason, as in like the Masonic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, this is Jefferson. That's Washington. If you didn't know. Um, so basically, the House of Burgesses was an instrument of the government alongside royally appointed go uh, colonial governor, um, representing the people of, of Virginia, and it became the uh, um, uh, example of how to run colonial government. And. In 69, you see Jefferson and Washington produce the Virginia Resolves, and this is literally a list of resolutions, and resolutions are um, more than suggestions. Who Washington? And Jefferson. Um, and they list, out, um, they list out every resolution that they could possibly think of to limit British power in Virginia specifically. So every one of them says resolved that the British crown 
uh, stop asking troops to enter our homes, resolved. That's what they did in my hit plan. There you go. Yeah, the, uh, the Virginia resolves, yes. So it's, it's essentially, this is the precursor to the Declaration of Independence. So I, uh, uh, it sucks that she's not here, but Taylor asked me, Taylor Stevens asked me to start implementing or throwing in little tidbits that help explain the history of this as we go along. This is one of those things, okay? It, this is an important piece because it is the precursor to the Declaration of Independence. If you didn't know it, the Declaration of Independence is basically a very long breakup letter. Um, I'm leaving you, here's why, okay? Um, this is, this is what I, I think is of note in 69. Other than that, nothing else happens. That's a very pretty thing. It is, yes. I tried to pull like official portraits and whatnot, too. I thought when I was reading that, that they just repeated themselves a lot. Yeah. They just repeated. Yeah. Don't, don't they're they're back, super succinct in that. OK. So uh, OK, this is, um, this is Sam Adams and John Hancock. They are the leaders of the Sons of Liberty. Um, this is also the year that we have the Boston Massacre. So you can ask me your question here in a second. Uh, violence erupts in January between members of the Sons of Liberty in New York. Um, this is the New York uh, Assembly of the Sons of Liberty. Um, in March, you have the Boston Massacre. There are two famous images. This is the original produced by um, Paul Revere. No, Paul Revere uh, in his uh, newspaper. This is the original one. Okay, this is one that is adopted later on. Uh, in support of African Americans, the, uh, there is an African American, a freed African American man, uh, who dies amongst the skirmish. His name is Crispus Attucks, um, and he becomes kind of a poster boy for uh, African Americans being subjected by the British government. Wasn't that the guy that showed in the, the movie? No, because he dies. Well, I know the one that was dead. I'm yes, you 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 are correct. Yes. Yes. Does the one who testifies in the movie does he end up dying? I don't know if that's actually real or not. I, I got to go back and, and look it up. I, I can look it up though. Um, so that is March. So you see violence in January. You see the Boston Massacre in March. Uh, in April, the Townshend Acts are repealed. Oh. Okay. Townshend Acts are 1760. Uh, 60, uh, 67. So three years in an, uh, yes, in July. Um, they're repealed. Uh, also, the Quartering Act is not renewed. So we're making progress as colonists. Okay? Quartering Act is not, not review, uh, renewed, and the Townshend Act is repealed. So, huge victory for colonists. Okay? The, the, the covert action done by the Sons of Liberty become fruitful. Uh, this gives them the opportunity to say, hey, what we're doing works, even though it's somewhat violent. Okay? And this is that narrative of, um, you know, is, is violence ever okay? Can you use violence for good? Those kind of concepts. Okay? Um, is war ever appropriate? Those are the big questions that colonists are starting to ask themselves. Next week, we're going to read a piece by a UCD professor. Uh, uh, he's a fantastic writer. Um, I emailed him randomly just to see if he would respond to me, and he responded to me. And he wrote a piece a couple years ago called Wars, Revolutions, and Civil Wars. And it, it, it talks about the idea of how people view conflict and whether, depending on, on what side you're on, you view it differently. So if you're in the South during the Civil War, you view it as an invasion. 
the Civil War was not a civil war for them, it was an invasion, if that makes sense. So, um, but you're seeing progress amongst the um, colonists. I, I'm gonna, I get to speed through some of these years. Um, 71 is kind of bland, so I tried to pull out some stuff. Sorry, I, I went too fast for you. Go ahead. Um, so, like, I don't know how like historically accurate. I'm like Boston Massacre definitely isn't like the thing I know the most about here. Mm -hmm. And the movie like kind of made it seem like the the uh, colonists were the bad guys, right? Like that was very much so like kind of how they how that was yeah. viewed. So, like, I don't know the accuracy of it and all, but. It seems like the the colonists were the bad guys. Like they were instigating a lot of fights, and they were genuinely just not happy with the way things were turning out. And I mean, in this, it looks like it was turning out pretty well for them. Like things were starting to go yes. their way, and yeah. they were still just like salty and pushing back. Yeah, and I think that's more of the production of what you saw. Okay, so in like the that's film. Probably less but but I mean, if you think about uh, the production of it, uh, the British do view it as super negative, the way that it was portrayed in the film. Right. And so you you. You have to look at it. Remember I said like we're looking at two different sides of the spectrum of the, the, the politics at the time. Right. So if, if you are an average person, you're thinking, these guys are a little extreme for me. We don't need this. Who's throwing snowballs full of oyster shells? Those kind of things. And at the same time, if you're in England, you're looking at it and you're saying, these guys are buffoons. What's going on here? Right. So, so you have very, very different perspectives. Do we have like a solid answer here, like, like what's going on, or is it just like perspectives? It's perspectives, yeah. Like, reasonably speaking, I mean, they had a lot going for them. Things were starting to like really look up to them. Like, like the Townshend Acts were revealed. Like, that's great. The Warren Act was revealed. That's great, right? Yeah. But it's like, it seems like they're just not happy enough. They, they won't be. Okay. The people who are driving the the violence, like. There, nothing will satisfy them. Okay. But that doesn't that that's not indicative of the entire mood of the of, of all thirteen colonies. Okay. But you're gonna see that violent side went out in the end. Like that's just what it is. Okay, so um, seventy one is kind of bland and I found something kind of media that we can hang our hat on. Okay, so the Battle of uh, Elements and the War uh, of the Regulation. Uh, is also known as the Regular Movement. It was an uprising in uh, North Carolina, or sorry, uh, Carolina. Uh, Carolina is just Carolina, it's not North or South yet. Um, uh, lasts from 1765 to 1771 in basically the middle of nowhere. Uh, the issue is citizens took up arms against colonial officials who viewed, who viewed them as corrupt. Uh, though the rebellion did not char uh, change the power structure, some historians consider it to be a catalyst for the American Revolutionary War. <laughs> Um, let, me, let me give it to you real quick. The view, uh, there are regulators who did not wish to change the form or principle of their government, but simply wanted to remake the colony's political process more equal. Uh, those that were against the, col or the, the, the establishment took up arms. Okay? Um, they wanted better economic conditions for everyone except slaves and Native Americans, instead of a system that benefited the colonial officials. Um, one interpretation of the events in the late uh, 1760s uh, states that uh, it was a peasants rising or uprising and a popular upheaval. The Battle of Alamance was the final battle of the War of the Regulation. So in other words, you're seeing, again, those average Joes stand up and say, we want things different so that way we can assert ourselves in colonial governments. Benefit me, the colonist. Okay? Did you get all that or do you want me to say it all over again? No, it's fine. You're going to give me the 
And you have the audio. Yes. Okay. Good. How come it says the elements the first battle of the revolution? Is that? That's the that's the interpretation. Oh, that, we're going to get to interpretation hopefully here in a minute or so. Okay. Who's Joe? Joe? Yeah, Joe. Joe. Is that what you told him to not ask me? I said tell him. No. Okay. You fell in. You fell into the trap. Okay. Seventy-two. Okay. Uh, oh, sorry. There's another. There's supposed to be another word there. Seventy-two is the uh, Gatsby. The Gatsby is the name of a British ship that runs aground off Rhode Island. Um, the colonists from Province wrote, wrote. They wrote out to the ship, and they take everything that they can from it. There, there's no protection to it, so they just row out to it, take everything from it. Wait, that's sad. It is, yeah. Is yes, they, they, like it is a British merchant ship, so it's full of stuff. It is. They, they, they go out like... They, they, my assumption is that they row out there with guns, and these sailors have nothing with them. I wonder if the sailors thought, like, oh, yay, help. <laughs> Were they stuck at sea? Yeah. That means that's what run aground means. So it was a British, yes. British merchant ship, and then... It gets stuck. Yeah, and then colonists row out to it and take everything. Uh, it's quite possible. Imagine yeah. being in the 30. shoes of a sailor. You're just like, man, we're stuck. Somebody should save us. If well, you see these people rowing there, and, and they just have guns. They're like, thanks. The Bye. only time that you see this really happen is poor planning by navigators, uh, because tides go in and out. So you assume that the reason why they ran aground was because of the tide. So that meant someone didn't do their job and, and correctly plan when they should sail in wherever near Rhode Island. And they didn't have emergency boats? No. Um, this is the Committee of Correspondence. Sam Adams uh, restructures the Sons of Liberty. And instead of, they had, remember the circular, circular letter? He now comes up with the Committee of Correspondence. And they start producing all the, the vitriolic materials that they would need to uh, start fomenting dissent amongst the colonies. So is that a group? This, uh, this is, yes, it is, a, it, is, it is his official mouthpiece of the Sons of Liberty. So, um, so I'll say this. The, the people, I think, let's say someone owns a, new, uh, a, news, uh, a news station, and they also happen to own a newspaper. Uh, they can work in tandem. So think of it like that. Like Sons of Liberty now have a, a newspaper, essentially, that is representative of the Committee of uh, Correspondence. Um, so yeah, let's move on to 73. 73 is, uh, this is the Committee of Correspondence again. And uh, they, take, uh, they take the next step in uh, Virginia. Patrick Henry is, is now part of the, uh, this is uh, a British cartoon uh, depicting the buffoonish colonists, okay? So that you, you can tell because the, the effect on their face, if it looks comical, that's, there's a reason why. Uh, this is, officially we have uh, enacted the Tea Act. This is May 10th. It maintains a three cents uh, uh, tax on every pound of tea imported from the colonies. If you didn't notice, the British get all their tea from uh, the East Indies, which is like India, okay? Um, they imported all the way back to the Western Hemisphere. Um, colonists meet in Philadelphia uh, to 
figure out what to do with the East India Company. Um, November, there's two mass, uh, mass meetings that occur in Boston, uh, and that is when you see Boston Tea Party. Okay, this is the oldest image to depict the Boston Tea Party. Okay, um, got it from the Congress of Lib or Library of Congress, and um, the. They say about 8,000 Bostonians gathered to hear Sam Adams tell them the royal governor Hutchinson had repealed, uh, repeated his command to not allow ships out of the harbor until tea taxes are paid. That night, Boston Tea Party occurs as colonists, colonial activists disguise themselves as Mohawk Indians, then board the ships and dump all 342 containers of tea into the harbor. Um, here is a map of Boston. Okay, um, Most all of traditional Boston is exists right around here. Um, this is Charlestown right up here. Um, where, here's the highway. It's like right over here. Um, Harvard's like over here. Um, this is the north end. Uh, I've been through Paul Revere's house. Uh, super fake, looks like. It's like very staged. Uh, this is where the tea party takes place. Uh, this is Bunker Hill, like right up here. Um, so yeah, I wanted to give you guys the map just to kind of give you a, a concept of what's going on. Here's the Boston Commons. Okay, um, this is uh, somewhere over here is the the Boston State House. This is this is a hill. How, how most cities run is that you build the state house on the hill, and everything kind of runs this way. Like it all runs downhill. Cheers. Yeah, like the the bar. Yes. Yeah. Does the Harvard still taste? No. What's it? It's the, they only had one T. We have an AMC in Westminster that is bigger than the Boston. Okay. All right. I'm almost done. Uh, we're going to go to 75 and stop at 75. Okay. So in 74, you, th these are some acts that you probably want to get down. There's the coercive or intolerable acts. Coercive is the British term. Intolerable, shockingly, is the uh, colonial term. You have the Boston uh, Port Bill, which is a tax on anything that goes in and out of Boston post-Tea um, Party. Uh, the Quebec Act, which really irritates the colonists. It's when you see that they give preference to uh, Canadian British over Americans. And they, they tell the Canadian British, feel free to check out the Ohio River Valley, which is like coveted by colonists at this point in time. Uh, and then you have another quartering act. So they reinstate the quartering act. So in 70 is when you saw all those things disappear, and by 74, they're all back. So simply the Tea Party and then how they handle the massacre really generates fervor uh, within uh, Parliament. So could you say that the Tea Party and the massacre were the two biggest um, sorry, I don't have all my. I don't know what happened to all my notes. Um, intolerable acts put on. So uh, Boston Port Bill uh, uh, taxes anything that goes in and out of the Boston Harbor, and then the intolerable acts.
So is the response to fatigue? Shuts down all commercial shipping in Boston Harbor. Uh, so one taxes everything that goes in and out, and one stops everything from coming in. Yeah, so it's like extraordinarily regulated trade. Yeah. Okay, lastly, or not lastly, second to last, um, you have the... Uh, okay, so you have the First Continental Congress. Crazy important that you know that one. Uh, this is what they produce. This is key. They produce the Declaration, uh, Declaration and, Res uh, and Resolves. This document is, again, another attempt to, uh, it's another attempt at the Declaration of Independence. Okay, this one comes from... Uh, declaration and Resolves. Um, I'm trying to remember who, who produces it. Oh, the First Continental Congress produces it. That's who. Yeah. All right, last slide. Ready? Okay, so you, you've, we've had everything that builds up to this moment. Okay, this is the governor of um, Massachusetts. His name is... He, he is stuck in between a rock and a hard spot. Uh, his name is, where did I lose his name? Um, Go Governor Gage, okay? His, his name is Governor Gage. He is ordered to enforce the coercive acts uh, and suppress open rebellion. He's kind of blase about it because he's not a huge fan of the crown at this point. Um, he says this line and it says, democracy is too prevalent in America, meaning that he doesn't think that he could stop anything even if it broke out. Um, in April, on April 14th, 1775, Gage orders, uh, receives orders from London to take uh, decisive action against patriots. They've now been given the patriots by 74, 75. Um, given intelligence that, the, uh, that a militia had been stockpiling weapons in Concord, he orders, and, uh, he orders all um, uh, troops to Lexington and Concord, where you have the first shots of the American Revolution in April of 75. April 19th, 1775 is the beginning of the American Revolution. Take one of these on your way out. Uh, 19th. Uh, 80602, I think. Okay.